Welcome to the Recovery While Traveling Workshop. My name is Natalie, and I'm a compulsive eater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, um, before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or electronic devices be turned off now, please. And we remind you that this session is being taped. All speakers must sign their release form. They are, and so to protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. And at the end, if we have pitches and people coming up, you can sign their speaker release form as well. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or OA as a whole. The format of this session is as follows. We'll have three speakers who will share each 20 minutes each, followed by a three-minute open pitch at the end of the session. The topic for the session, again, is recovering while, recovery while traveling, taking the treasure with us. And the following is a reading from the pamphlet before you take that first compulsive bite. I'm not going to do that reading right now. Let's skip that part. Okay, um, very good. Our first speaker is Wendy from Sacramento. <laughs> God's plan. Okay. Good morning. My name is Wendy, and I am a real compulsive overreader. So I intentionally turned my phone off, but is someone um, going to, who's monitoring time for me? Bless you. Oh, so you tell me at 10 minutes, and then the next one is shut up, or? Five minutes. 10, five, oh my, oh, bless you for your service. Okay, bless you for your, uh-huh. okay, thank you very much for your service, I really am grateful for that. Again, good morning, my name is Wendy, and I'm a real compulsive overeater. Just honored and delighted to be here today and to be part of this convention and grateful to all the people who have done service and um, looking forward to hearing all of your ideas and experience strength and hope as it relates to travel as well today, as certainly Hannah and, and Greg. Um, do we have any newcomers in the room today, just so that I know if we've got anybody who, a bunch of seasoned pros, great, okay, because I'm kind of a literal person and they said talk about absence and travel, so I'd just as soon focus on that rather than you know, my generic story. Um, I am uh, wearing a travel shirt today. It's the only one that I own. This is a map of sort of the Great Lakes area. I'm from uh, the Midwest originally, and a lot of my travel um, the last several years is because uh, I am blessed with a small home on a lake in northern Michigan, and I um, go back to the Great Lakes area. So a little bit of disqualification. Um, I have been absent by the grace of God and the 12 steps since August 3rd, 1989 which means I have one day at a time, 22 years, 11 months, and 15 days. And for that, I am incredibly grateful, and I only say that to bear witness. I also uh, tapped out, uh, God willing, I never uh, relapsed because I'm sure I would exceed this number, but I tapped out pre-OA at 194 pounds. Um, today, because I'm speaking, I had to weigh myself, of course, because uh, it's just so important what the number on the scale is, and today I weigh 122 pounds. So, you know, by the grace of God, I'm maintaining a 70-pound weight loss, and that is truly God's grace. Um, let alone travel, I couldn't have, you know, gotten through two hours in the morning without compulsively overeating before I came into Overeaters Anonymous. So, I live a life today beyond my wildest dreams, um, 
in so many ways, and travel's a big part of that. And I'm, I don't, I'm very grateful to Michelle for asking me to speak because I didn't think I traveled very much. I want to travel. I'm selling my house and downsizing and moving into a brownstone in downtown Sacramento so that I can have a lock-and-go house and travel more. But I felt like, oh, I'm not traveling enough. And then because I was asked to speak on this topic, I had to give a little reflection, and I have been very blessed to travel a lot, um, and so I'm grateful for that. If I'm going to talk about absence, let me just tell you, um, for me, how I have uh, eaten since the day I came in here uh, is three meals a day, nothing in between, no matter what, one day at a time. I used to hear it called the 301 plan. I haven't heard it called the 301 plan in a long time. Three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time, no matter what. And that works for me. I know that lots of other people eat in different ways. Um, lots of people have snacks and other, you know, they need to eat five or six times a day. I don't know the difference between a snack and a very large meal that I can possibly call moderate. So uh, I have never from day one um, had anything other than three meals a day. That works for me. And I have to maintain that when I travel. Um, and travel is probably the biggest challenges I've ever had in terms of maintaining that. Um, the only other exception that I would say is um, I ran the Cal I jogged the California International Marathon in 1993. And, uh, and I did that, you know, absolutely eating three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time. That was pretty miraculous, too. So um, I know we don't have any newcomers here, but let me just say, um, please take what you like and leave the rest. I'm just going to try to share my experience, strength, and hope. I'm not an expert on travel. I'm certainly not an expert on absence. I can only share with you my experience. And I think everybody in this room is traveling and absent right now. There's nobody here. I don't think, who has access to their home refrigerator with their favorite foods and their favorite ingredients. And many people have at least driven here from out of town, so they don't have their favorite restaurants to go to. And yet we're all abstinent. And I believe that absence is available to all of us at any time, no matter where we go. And just to qualify, upon reflection, most of my travel is domestic within the United States and not particularly glamorous. I have, however, been to Botswana, Africa. Uh, on a 14-day photo safari where they fed six meals a day, and I only ate three of them, and I was abstinent. And you had to weigh your luggage before you went, so I couldn't take extra food with me. I have been to um, Tokyo. I have been to the South Pacific. I have been to um, Austria. Um, that's probably it in terms of, uh, of anything exotic. Um, and what I've learned from me is... Travel is, and I'll be traveling on Wednesday. I'll be going back to the Great Lakes on Wednesday morning for my um, mother's uh, memorial service. And what I've learned is that when I travel that day, it's just another Wednesday. It's just another day. It's really no different. As long as I use the tools, as long as I take God with me, as long as I'm committed to Overeaters Anonymous, it's just another day. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm in a different culture or in a different city. And I've come to eat... Um, I used to take a lot of my own food when I traveled, or I, I took a particular uh, liquid protein drink that I like to drink, um, you know, to, for a meal, and then after September 11th, can't do that anymore. So, you know, I just surrendered it. And I've never starved traveling, um, and I haven't uh, found it necessary to break my absence traveling. Um, one thing for me, airports used to be sort of like uh, tough, like, like where they, like, away free zones or something like well I'm in an airport you know and I used to go into those uh, newspaper kind of stores you know and and look for food food 
that I could eat. And I have come to believe that there is nothing in those stores that is food for me, nothing. If it comes in a plastic bag and it hangs from a wall, that for me is not food. It might be food for you. For me, that is just an excuse to try to eat something that I wouldn't normally eat. And even the very few things that are in those plastic bags hanging from the walls that might technically be food, they come in very large volumes. You know, It's not like you can buy an ounce of mixed nuts uh, at, uh, in the airport, right? It's like 8, 10, 12 pound, uh, ounces. And I don't have the ability you know, to eat an ounce and put it in a bag and keep it for two weeks in my luggage. I just don't have that ability. I'm a real severe compulsive overeater. So I just, you know, I don't do that anymore. Um, I've come to find uh, my airport of choice. I have lots of, used to have lots of drugs of choice. Now I have airports of choice. My airport of choice is O'Hare because in O'Hare there is a little grocery store that has vegan food and organic food. And about a year ago I went largely plant-based. And uh, I'm certainly not a vegan, um, but I... Uh, I eat largely plant-based, and there's an amazing store there. So I've, anyway, I've found that no matter where I go, I can stay abstinent. And I guess a few of my, um, and the way I do that, by the grace of God and the 12 steps, is I take the tools with me. I mean, we have these tools of recovery, and every single one of them is transportable. The tools travel very beautifully. In the old days, um, if I didn't want to take my big book, my Voices of Recovery, my One Day at a Time, I didn't want to take all those books, I found that I could just Xerox certain passages. Or if I had a daily affirmation book and I was going to be gone for 12 days, I'd just Xerox 12 days. You can pack that. Even when you're going to Africa, you can pack that. I can pack that. Um, you know, and now, of course, we have all the high-tecker stuff. I mean, you can text, you can email, you can, do, you can download, you can do all kinds of things. I mean, the tools are so transportable. We're so lucky. My favorite tool when I travel is going to meetings. I don't want to be without a 12-step meeting very long. And I'm, although I'm not an alcoholic, I will say that I have been to meetings in Alcoholics Anonymous when I travel when I can't find a way. Because sometimes when you find a way, they meet one day a week on a Thursday, and I'm there from Sunday to Wednesday or something. So I go into uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I don't say that I'm a compulsive overeater. I just go in. I don't talk. If I say anything, I say, hi, my name is Wendy. I'm an addict, which is true. Um, I don't think there's any difference between my disease and their disease. I've been to thousands of AA meetings, um, hundreds and hundreds, but probably thousands. Um, that works for me. And I've had some wonderful experiences trying to find meetings um, in, uh, in Overeaters Anonymous. I was in uh, uh, Costa Rica, uh, probably a couple years sober, a couple years absent, excuse me, I'm not in AA, a couple years absent. And um, I was in a remote part of the country. Now you probably could find an OA meeting there, but I couldn't. And I called into the main city, and I asked if they had uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And the gentleman answering the phone spoke Spanish. And he put me on hold like five times. There's a lot of noise in the background. I think I might have called into an, an AA Alano club or something. He put me on hold like five times, and every time he came back in with a very thick accent, he just said, no drink, no drink. No drink. And then he put me on hold, and he'd come back, and he put the phone down. He wasn't on hold. And he'd come back, and he'd go, no drink, no drink. And you know what? That was a meeting for me. That was a meeting for me. This, this wonderful human being that I never met was really concerned on the other end of the line. You could tell they were trying to find someone who spoke English so they could talk to me. And so at the end, I finally realized I needed to say it back to him so he would know I heard him. And I just said, no drink, no drink. That was a meeting. And I was over there for, I don't remember, 10 or 12 days. That's the only meeting that I had. But it was a beautiful experience because someone was really trying to reach out to me. Um, 
on my honeymoon 13 or 14 years ago, I was in uh, on the island of Bora Bora. There's no meetings on Bora Bora. In uh, Papiate, at least at that time, they had AA and Alana, and that's the main island. Well, I'm on some remote little island, so I called into Papiate, and they um, didn't have any meetings on Bora Bora, but they said there's a woman who's uh, in AA, and she owns a little retail shop on the north end of the island. And it's a small island, so I got on my bike, and I rode my bike, and I found the retail shop. And the woman spoke almost no English. She spoke French. She had just had six months in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had with me traveling that time um, as Bill sees it. And I always carry a chip. I don't, this one is this one's a 20-year chip I, that I happened to put in my jeans this morning. I have so many chips, I never look at what the denomination was. Um, so even though I have 22 years, I'm carrying my 20-year chip. As God would have it, I had my six-year chip on me. So I biked to the island. I met this woman. We didn't speak very much. I gave her as Bill sees it. I don't know if she could read it or not because it was in English. I can guarantee you it wasn't in French. And I gave her my six-month chip. And I was abstinent on that trip. That's all it takes for me is one other person, one-on-one, making a connection. Another thing I was reflecting on because of the beautiful gift of being asked to speak here today is um, I was going to Japan. Uh, I definitely wasn't very absent at this point. I was maybe two years absent. And I was going to Japan, and um, I took what uh, someone, an old-timer, once referred to, I heard it in a different setting, as the OA survey. What that meant was I asked everybody that I could talk to about whether or not I could eat a fourth meal on my way to Japan because it was a 40-hour day until I found someone who said what I wanted. You know, when I'm asking you your opinion, I'm looking for what I, I just want you to validate. And then the truth is I found people who said, oh, yeah, I ate extra meals when I went to China. Oh, yeah, you could have an extra meal. Just like when I ran the marathon, people said, you know, you could have an extra meal. Well, I believe that I am so sick that if I have an extra meal because I'm going to Japan, it's only a week or two weeks before I'm eating an extra meal because I'm working late or whatever. Um, Ira, to me, last night was a model for how to travel and stay absent. If you heard Ira last night, he was awesome. Drove 385 miles, and he was absent because um, God took care of him. So uh, anyway, I was um, going to Japan, and, and I talked about it beforehand in meetings because I was still fairly new. And... Um, you know, I remember saying before I left, if I have to get down on my knees in the bathroom stall on the airplane to stay abstinent, I'm going to be abstinent. And one of my sponsees telling me that was the grossest thing she ever heard. So I go to Tokyo, and while, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to be thrilled that I'm coming because I'm from America. And we had just started the 12 and 0. We didn't have the 12 and 12 then. We had the 12 steps, and we didn't have the traditions yet. So I brought it with me thinking, you know, I mean, this isn't conscious, but this is how I think. That they're just going to be in awe because I have this brand new 12 and 0. Well, I go to a meeting in Tokyo. Everybody by the way, has the 12 and 0. And the topic was the seventh step. And I didn't have a darn thing to offer them in terms of literature that they didn't already have. So a little ego deflation there. But I spoke at the meeting. And there was a small meeting. And at that particular meeting, nobody was abstinent except for me. And I shared what I had said uh, before I came, you know, that I was abstinent so far. And then if I had to get down on my knees in the bathroom, of the airplane, I'd be happy to do that. And a woman who wasn't absent, who was struggling, said at the meeting, I would give anything in the world if I could just get down on my knees in a grungy public bathroom on a plane and get abstinent. That really reminded me how blessed I am for every minute of absence that I have. 
So um, I don't remember, to be honest, whether I got down on my knees in that bathroom or not, but um, I know I was willing, and I may or may not have done it. I just don't remember. Um, so what I found in traveling is that all the meetings, I've never been to a meeting that didn't feel like I was home, never. And I've, uh, it's kept me abstinent. And, you know, I take the pamphlets sometimes, or sometimes I have literature with me. I text people. I'm a big texter now. Um, you know, I can call. I can email. God is always with me. God is portable. God is, is mobile. No matter where I go, I am never, ever alone in Overeaters Anonymous because there's always that connection. Um, and I think the last thing that I want to kind of share with is a recent experience I have with absence, which is really beyond my wildest dreams. I, um, I, I have a, a, a 90 year old and seven month, 90 years and seven month old mother who I had moved to Sacramento uh, in March and who was sharp as a tack. Um, the first week in May, she finished a new autobiography. She was on the internet one night. I decided I could go to Florida for a woman's retreat. And I got a call in the middle of the night that she'd taken a fall. And uh, she was in ER. Uh, but the ER doc said, you know, she hasn't broken anything. We're going to send her home. We're just doing some blood work not to worry. This was a Friday night, Saturday morning at the beginning of a retreat. And um, a few hours later, my husband texted me, I'm at the hospital with your mom, not to worry. She's okay. That didn't make any sense to me because the doctors had told me she was fine for hours earlier. So I called. And he goes, well, her blood work's off. They're just checking her blood work. So um, at this time, it's, uh, it's noon. It's quarter to noon in Florida on, the, on a little island, Palm Island, that I'm on. And, uh, and I'm eating lunch with the girls at this retreat, and I'm talking to the ER doc, and I had an intuitive, I knew intuitively how to handle a situation that used to baffle me. I got an ER doc saying, I don't think you need to come. It doesn't look eminent. I got a husband not giving me a clue. A lot of recovery there. Um, I'm begging for a clue. He wouldn't give me a clue. And... Um, I decide I'm going home. I just got a feeling I need to go home. As I make that decision, I'm very aware it's 11.45 in the morning and I just ate lunch. I only eat three meals a day, nothing in between, no matter what. It's quarter to nine in Sacramento. I'm aware of it, but I'm not panicked. I'm not panicked. Like, oh my God, how, what am I going to do? I only have one meal left and I've got to do all this travel. And get home. I'm not panicked, I'm just aware of it. So I thought, well, okay, I'll eat in Denver on my way home. You know, So I found a flight. Um, I got to Denver, I called, and my husband said, thank God you're on your way, because I thought we were going to lose her twice already. Um, and I said, oh, she was fine. And he goes, well, four hours is a long time. You better get here as fast as you can. Um, so I talked to her on the phone, and I ate. I don't know how this is possible for someone like me who would compulsively overeat because you didn't actually look right at me when you said hello to me in the hallway, right? You didn't have to snub me. You just had to not look enthusiastic enough. And I'm often eating a one-pound bag of M&Ms, right? I went and had a, I sat down at a restaurant, I had a cup of soup and, uh, and a an small, moderate salad. I wasn't even particularly hungry, and I do not not eat just because I'm stressed, just so you know that's not my story. I just, God just carried me. So I ate dinner in Denver, I ate my third meal, I landed in Sacramento at midnight, um, which was like three in the morning, my body's time, and you know, um, I spent the next 48 hours at the hospital with my mom until she died. And I was abstinent during those 48 hours, and I don't even know where the vending machines are in that hospital. I didn't eat out of the vending machines. But for me, the miracle of, I don't typically have my second of three meals by 8.45 in the morning, you know? And I knew 
when I decided to come home that I would only have one meal, but it wasn't a dominant factor. It was just something I was aware of. And that's the grace that I get. If I show up, if I sponsor people, if I have a sponsor, if I take God with me, if I pray, if I meditate to the best of my ability, which is not a very long experience for me, um, and, you know, if I keep doing service, then I can have something happen like a decision to change time zones and come home and stay abstinent and eat abstinent food. And that's you know, my experience in Overeaters Anonymous, I've been doing it for a long time. I don't talk about the international travel because I'm trying to brag. I'm sure many people in this room have traveled more. I'm just trying to say it's possible. You know, whether you're going to Lodi today or London or wherever, we all get to be absent. We're never alone. And the last thing that I would share, I haven't even gotten the, the high sign yet, but I'm, it's got to be coming. Um, the last thing that I would share is in my travels, I cannot think of one single thing that I passed on eating that I regret. Not one. Whether it was some unique food in Austria or Africa or or um, to uh, Tokyo or my favorite X whatever food back when I'm back in Michigan, I don't miss a single bite that I haven't eaten. Not a single bite. I can still tell you 13 years after my honeymoon that there's stuff that I wished I hadn't eaten when I was in the South Pacific. I was abstinent, but there's foods that I didn't need. So I'm very aware of that today that, you know, the the cleaner my absence, the less I eat, the less I want to eat. And if I think, oh, I have to have this because I'll never be back in this country again, or I'll never be back where they have this particular vegan meal. I mean, the things I crave today are very bizarre for me. But, you know, this is vegan restaurant. I'll never be back here again, so i got to try this whatever. I don't remember six minutes later or six months later what it was that I didn't eat. That gives me a lot of hope and strength. So um, thank you for allowing me to speak today and look forward to hearing what everybody else has to say about traveling and absence. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Our second speaker is Hannah from Yucca Valley. Good morning. My name is Hannah. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I think it was wonderful when Michelle called me and said, uh, we have a new workshop that's about traveling. Would you be willing to participate? And I said, how much time do I have? And she said, 20 minutes. And I said, I need at least half a day because traveling is, has kind of become my hobby. Now, there's a big, big difference between traveling before program and after program and also at the beginning of program for me because I traveled a lot with my husband who was alive and died 15 years ago, and things changed since then. But our theme is, you know, recovery is precious as gold and taking the treasure with us, and I've learned to do that today. Of course, before program, I had no idea. I was either on diets, um, traveling, and I remember working my way through Europe for five months after a diet, not picking up anything they had there, being very, very frustrated. Got back to Montreal, where I lived at the time, and within three months, I gained it all back. So that is the insanity of this disease. I believe I was born a compulsive overeater. They had a wonderful workshop here before, which was on abstinence. And you know, we all have different ways of abstaining. When I came, a gray sheet was handed to me, and I loved it. I took to it, but I, I treated it as a diet. So the first time I went out of town traveling, it was not very far, it was just kind of up the street to Santa Rosa, and I live in the area of Palm Springs. And I was all prepared, you know, to keep this gray sheet abstinence. I got there, 
I didn't have anything else. I didn't have any steps. I didn't really have a sponsor or anything else. So a day later, I was fighting with my girlfriend over the you know, junk food, and she thought it was hilarious, and I was very miserable. Now, I'm very, very, I'm forever grateful that I came back because I'm one of these people, I never did anything again if I failed. And I don't know, I was, it was guided by a power because I picked up that 1,000-pound phone and I called someone and they said, please come back, you know, and, and we'd love you to come back. And I did that. And that was the first time I ever did anything like that. And things changed slightly. And um, I actually came to this program because I was afraid that gorgeous husband of mine was going to leave me. And he didn't tell me, he didn't dare tell me until about three days, three years after I was in program that he thought about it because he had his own program. But we started traveling, and um, the first trip we took after I came to program was in 1978. I had about eight months of abstinence. And uh, we were in Europe, and he wanted to go to a convention. He, belongs to, he belonged to another 12-step program, and that was in Paris. And I was very, very strict with my abstinence and my gray sheet. I don't know if you've been to Paris, to France. They do things different. They have speakers first. They had one speaker. They had another speaker. And then I was getting really nervous because, you know, it was getting to be 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and I have my regular feeding times. So all they had in the middle of the table was a big basket of French rolls. And those rolls looked better and better all the time, and they got bigger and bigger all the time. <laughs> my husband was off talking, you know, to his new best friends, and here I was, and I was very stressed out. And all of a sudden, I turned to the right, and there was a lady sitting next to me. I don't know if you ever heard about Eskimos. We talked about them a lot. And I said to her, you know, I, I said, those rolls, they're really going to attack me. And I'm going to start eating them. I'm going to eat every single one of them, but I don't want to do it because I'm in OA. And she said, I'm from New York. I'm in OA, too. Eskimo. And I've run into some of them, you know, several times. And that's really wonderful. Whenever I need someone, whenever I feel I'm in distress and despair, somebody shows up and says something. Oh, yeah, you know, it kind of gets to me. And things have gotten a little easier because I was very intense at first. And uh, I did travel a lot with my husband. And the other thing I was afraid of was I was afraid of driving on the freeways. I was afraid of flying. And the first trip I took after I came to this program, I thought, oh, my God, without my food, you know, how am I going to fly because I was so nervous. So I developed a little thing that I used. I put my hand next to the door. I knock three times. And I say, okay, HP, now you got me. Take care of me. And as we start on the runway, you know, they take off on the tarmac. I would mumble the serenity prayer and every other prayer that I've learned in this program, and I warm out, which is great. And I don't do a lot. I don't knock on the plane anymore. But I still say my little prayers when we take off because today I turn my will and my life over to a higher power and say, okay. I may say, okay, now you got me. Take care of me. Thy will be done. But it was always my will because I had the strength and the stamina I thought to handle the whole world, and I don't have to do that anymore. And things have gotten easier. But I know I can also prepare certain things when I go on a trip. And I have been privileged. I've traveled overseas quite a bit. I've gone to countries. I just got back about three weeks ago. And the closest OE meeting, AA meetings weren't there either, was probably about 800 miles from where I was because I was in Mongolia and Siberia. And the other thing about traveling is, and I also became vegetarian, the last 20-some years. And those are countries where they eat meat. So I, you know, really had to think, what am I going to do? I wanted to go there. 
Now, I do prepare certain things. I also call the airlines and ask them if I can have a certain meal. See, I can do the footwork. God doesn't come down and puts his hand in front of my mouth and keeps me from eating. I have to do the footwork. So I call them and I discuss it with them, and most of the time it works out fine. So whenever I get to a country where they're very meat-oriented, like Gaucho Ranch in Argentina or like where I was in Mongolia, I do say try to take certain supplies. And as Wendy mentioned before, some areas in Africa, I mean, the luggage is so restricted you can't. But, you know, most of the countries I get what I need. But I took some things along with me. So when they put all this gunk in front of me, which I don't like, I would go to my room and feel that, you know, okay, I had my abstinent meal. But traveling has gotten a lot easier, and also I find this very exciting. And again, at airports, you know, before program, I used to wander around, and I still did that for a long time, looking for things. I know I can't have it, but it looks good. Torturing myself. I try not to do that anymore. And I've always also been very privileged. I have someone I've sponsored for many years who comes to conventions with me and also has gone on a couple of trips with me. And, you know, I always like to stay close to people or in program. And what I do before I go anywhere, I usually look it up on the World Service uh, site to see if they have meetings. Now, that doesn't mean they have meetings, but I've done the footwork. It doesn't mean that even if they have meetings that I get to meetings, I may not be able to get to a meeting. Sometimes I don't even get anyone because when I went on one of the trips, I called and called and called, and nobody answered. But I did that for me. I did the footwork. And sometimes I get to talk to people in other countries, and I've even been told by someone, you know, I wouldn't advise you to go out at night. And I take their advice. But just talking to people. And I never was able to do that because I was so strong-willed, I could do it all by myself before program. And now, you know, it's, it's so funny. I got this little bracelet. A little monk put that on me when I was on my, my trips, and you have to wear it until it falls off because otherwise, you know, it's get bad luck or something. But, um, you know, I do these things because I want to today, and I enjoy doing everything, and I enjoy doing things trying to help people. I take things with me that I can give to people, and I was just the me, 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 I, my, I, I, I. But going on trips, you know, with people who are in program is really, really wonderful. I love it. But, of course, I don't always do that. Sometimes I go on trips and I just meet people that I haven't seen before. And I enjoy going to meetings in other countries. And I noticed I have a sister who lives over in, in Germany where I grew up, and uh, she could use that program. And she went to a couple of meetings when she was here, but she doesn't like it. But I asked her to take me to a meeting when I'm over there, which is once in a while. And it's so interesting, when we drive back and we talk about it, she identifies with the differences, and I identify with the similarities. But I can understand that, because I always did that. And uh, so my traveling has become a little easier, because I can also stay in touch. And as was mentioned before, today we have all these wonderful gadgets. You know, I was always debating when you're restricted with your luggage, what should I take? Should I take the book book? Should I take out for today? Or what should I take? Because, you know, you can't take 10 pounds of books along. And today, with the iPads and the Kindles, you can take all your books along. And I can do the same thing that I do at home, like get up in the morning, wake up. And some of the places are not too clean, so you don't get on your knees on the floor. But do my little prayer and meditation and say, please help. That's the short form. Because I need all the help I can get. And going back to this bracelet, somebody said to me once, gee, why do you do that? And I keep saying, I need all the help I can get. Like I was spinning prayer wheels like crazy, you know, in some of these Buddhist countries, and I'm having a ball. 
and meeting people. I could never do that before. It's all due to this program because this program really has taught me how to live. I was so afraid. I was afraid of my own shadow. When I left, I left my country when I was 19 years old because I don't know about you, but things are always better someplace else. And my geographicals had to be at least 3,000 miles, and I took two of them. And I was ready with my husband to go on another one because the next stop would have been Australia because the people in Southern California really didn't amount to anything. And they weren't really very nice. And so I am so grateful he found his program and I found my program. So traveling now is so different because at one time I wanted to get away from here because I didn't like you. I knew that you didn't like me, so I didn't like you. So I wanted to get away from it because people were different and better in other places. Today, I love to go to places. I love to meet new people, find out how they live, their customs and everything else. But I'm always looking forward to coming back because this is home for me. And I never had a home because I was always looking for a place where I would feel good and where things would be wonderful. And life isn't always wonderful. I mean, I had a wonderful life, but things do happen. And program does not guarantee me that every day is a holiday, but every day is better than it used to be because I used to sedate myself with food. And, you know, like flying without your stash, it was a lot harder for me at first. And I would have never done the things that I'm doing today. And I'm having a ball. I mean, life is really enjoyable. And I remember when I learned, I mean, I tried to drive on the freeway one time, and that was shortly after. Not, no, I guess I wasn't in program. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm 38 years old. I probably have about 40 years left. Maybe I should hit that post. And today, I'm 73 years old, and I keep thinking, oh, my God, I hope I have another 10 or 20 years left because I'm having so much fun. It's attitude, you know, attitude. I had a rotten attitude all my life, and I could have never done the things that I'm doing today. And I also am a great believer in service. And I can give service even while I'm traveling. I can stay in touch with my sponsees, you know, email, wonderful. I'm not too much into texting, but email and, uh, you know, sending pictures back and forth and stuff. Hey, I'm still here. And it's kind of fun. I had a friend uh, sent me an email one time and to say, oh, that's where you are. I was wondering where you were. I tried to call you, and I was off someplace else. But it doesn't mean I have to go that far. Because, as I said, the first time I traveled after program, I just went a few hundred miles, but I wasn't prepared to go anywhere. And today I am, because my higher power in the program goes with me, no matter where I go. Because this program is a lifetime program, one day at a time. But I never knew that. You know, like diets, they were, they started and they finished. And when it was finished, and maybe I had lost some weight, then I would live happily ever after. And that's the wonderful thing about this program. No matter where I am, no matter what day it is, and no matter how I feel, I'm still part of this program. And I can talk about it. You know, like when we were talking earlier, we were supposed to tell our neighbor, what's something that, uh, you know, it really still gets to you at times? And I thought for a second, I said, resentments. Now, I didn't have any resentments or character defects when I came, of course. <laughs> Uh, but I discovered them in program, and, and, you know, my friends and a sponsor helped me discover them. And it's okay, because the character defects stayed with me, but I know what they are today. And I try not to take them with me when I go someplace, but, you know, when I was on one of my trips, and all of a sudden, at midnight, everything, you know, all hell broke loose, and all the pipes opened up, and before I knew it, it was like several inches of water in my hotel room, 
and I threw everything on the bed in order to, you know, save it. And then I had to walk out to another building because this was Siberia, and they're not too modern there. I mean, they're just getting there with their tourism and all that stuff. But I can do that without killing someone. But, you know, I always wanted things my way. And I'm glad I never traveled as much. I traveled with my husband, but it was his job, you know, to do all these things. But today I'm on my own. And I was told by someone, I was standing on a platform in Siberia getting on the Siberian Express, and there were about 14 of us and a guide, and everybody got on the train. And here I was standing. She took my passport. They have these little sergeants standing there watching. I don't know what they're doing, but they want your passport. So I handed her my passport, and she pointed. So I had to stand there. And by the time this was over with, there was only the guide and I standing on the platform. And I kept saying, because of course I don't speak Russian, I said, what's going on? What's going on? And she says, they don't have your correct passport number. And I said, oh, because my passport was lost just about three weeks before I left, and it was a big emergency trying to get another one. So they didn't want to let me on the train. So I thought, okay, what do you do in the middle of Siberia if they leave you behind? But I didn't, I didn't panic, and I was good at panicking. And eventually it turned out a wonderful guide had to sign her life away that, yes, she would guarantee that I would leave Russia as if I had any intentions of staying there. And, you know, and I got on the train, and it was a wonderful thing. It was a wonderful trip. And I enjoy all these things. But the guide said to me afterwards, you know, when I finally got my little bunk bed and I was relaxing, looking out the window, she said, how can you take that and laugh about it, she said. And I said, I learned that because I have a lot of experience that I've learned in a program that taught me how to live. Because apparently that's not common that you laugh about some weird thing that happens to you in another country. And I only have a couple of minutes left, and I want to share just one tiny little thing. I have a little necklace, and I have a couple of little things on there that mean a lot to me. And I was in um, Argentina and Brazil, Iguazu Falls, and we were in a hurry. We came back from Antarctica. And we were in a hurry because we'd missed our plane and this and that and the other things. So we got to a hotel late at night. Next morning, we had to leave early. And I was on that bus. They were taking us to the airport. And all of a sudden, I went like this, and my necklace wasn't there. And I thought, oh, my God. But this program has taught me to accept the things that I cannot change, but also the courage to try and do something about it. So I told our guide, and I said, you know what? I said, I have this little necklace, and I said, I must have left it in the hotel. And I've never done that before. I wear it every day. And um, I said, but, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to have it anymore. And he said, let me call. So he called the hotel, and while he was doing that, somebody else came over and said, one of my people had problems with the paperwork, and that person had to stay behind. We'll go straight to the airport by taxi. And it happened that I was sitting across from this guy the night before when we had a farewell dinner, and he said to me, what is that little triangle that you have? Is that yours? And I said, well, actually, it was my husband's, but I've been wearing it ever since he's passed away. And he said, yeah, I belong to that program. And so he actually even knew what it looked like. And lo and behold, I got to the airport, and here walks up this guy to me. He walks up to me with that big grin on his face, and I got my necklace back. I lost it in Argent- you know, in Brazil, and I got it back in Argentina. Now, if that's, you know, if that's not God talking, I don't know what is. And I am forever grateful because things like that would have driven me crazy. And I would have been mad at the whole world for doing this to me. Why me? 
And my husband always had a cute saying, you know, he'd throw up his hands and say, why me, O oh Lord? And then he'd answer himself, why not you? I mean, and that's the way I like to live today. And our big book says, you know, the answer will come if my own house is in order. Well, the order that I can have in my life is I can ask for help to abstain one day. And that's the order. And then everything else falls into place. And this has been such an experience. And I'm really, I'm really a convention junkie. I don't know how many conventions I've been to. And I love to, you know, be at conventions. But I'm better off. I'm actually volunteering a lot to work behind the scene. I don't like to be up front and talk because, I don't know, it's just not me. But on the other hand, I was always told that if you ask and program to do something and you can possibly do it, do it. And so, therefore, when Michelle called me and asked me, can you talk about traveling, well, I mean, you know, I could give you a travel log no end, and I love every bit about it. But how do I take the treasure with me? And that's what I was asked to say. And the treasure is wherever you go, whatever you do, you know, keep the program working. Apply the program. Talk to your higher power. Email a sponsor. Like sometimes I even, you know, and I believe, I'm a believer in committing my food. Sometimes I even did that from a place like Siberia, and I was probably complaining and, you know, because I said, God, it's so hard when they put all these blobs in front of me. And I said, but the program is more important to me than, you know, just running off and doing crazy things because for me there is no end. Once I start, and I've proved it over and over and over again, all I wanted was just little, one little piece. And I put my husband through hell with all that stuff. And today I'm by myself, but I also know that, you know, any of the trigger foods, and someone earlier in this um, workshop said red, yellow, and green, and there's a lot to it because I don't have to have any of the red and yellow foods in my house today. But when I do travel sometimes, I, ha I take certain things. Like uh, this morning earlier, people were talking about nuts. Okay, if I would have a two-pound bag at home in my refrigerator, they would talk to me constantly, so I don't. But when I travel, and you know I'm kind of tricky that way, Trader Joe's has these tiny little packages, and that's a meal. And I can't do too much of that anyway, because as you get older, you get little medical problems, and you have to watch it so it doesn't poke your stomach. But that's the best that's worked the best for me. But I know what I can do when I'm at home, and there are other things that I can do when I'm not at home. And so I can travel the world and have a lot of fun. As long as I keep coming back to meetings, I think one day at a time I'm going to be okay. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Our last speaker is Greg from Phoenix. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm Greg, compulsive overeater from Phoenix, Arizona. And I think you two are both local, right? Oh, Palm Springs, okay. So you qualify as traveling. You know, but Wendy, I don't know how she was able to be speaking here today because she's in Sacramento. I walked here. Oh, okay. You walked here. I have been in OA a little less than six years, and I've been abstinent a little over three and a half years, the last three and a half years. I've been maintaining my normal body weight. I've lost 45 pounds, and I've been maintaining my normal body weight. And so I'm so grateful to be here. And I love to travel, just like, just like our uh, two previous speakers, Wendy and Hannah. I do have an important question before I get started, though. 
as a, someone that's traveling, and I don't know if you can relate to this, when you go out of town or maybe perhaps before program when you went out of town, the most important thing I needed to know when I was going somewhere was what? Does anyone have any ideas what I needed to know when I was traveling? Where is the best Chinese restaurant in town? Okay. Where is the best deli in town? What's the best brunch in your city? That's what I needed to know. Before I was in recovery, I went to Israel, and the first reservation I ever made in Israel was the best brunch in Israel. In East Jerusalem at the American Colony Hotel, this is known to be the best brunch in all of Israel. That was the first reservation I made. I didn't book an archaeological tour. I booked brunch. Can anybody relate to that story? So what I thought I would do today is try to be very, very specific. I travel a lot. I even write a travel blog. My hobby and passion is traveling using frequent flyer miles and points so I can travel almost for free. My real passion is eating for free as well, which I get to do in a lot of hotels, but that's another story. So I happened to, just by coincidence, I wrote an article for our local intergroup newsletter that I think it came out in May, just a couple of months ago. And the title of this article that I wrote was How I Stay in Recovery on the Road One Day at a Time. And then, coincidence-wise, I was asked you know, to, to be a speaker on this particular panel. So what I'm going to do today is be very, very specific on how I stay abstinent while I travel. What I do before my trip, what I do in process of traveling in a car, on a train, on a bus, on a plane. I call it planes, trains, and automobiles because that's my favorite movie. Does anybody like planes, trains, and automobiles? John Candy and Steve Martin. Just absolutely amazing. I would probably lose my abstinence if I went through those experiences that they did on that movie. But, uh, and also, how I stay absent at my destination, how I'm staying absent here in Sacramento. So let me start with the first thing I do before I travel, and our previous speakers mentioned it. I go to oa.org and find meetings in the destination that I am going to. And then I put these meetings on my calendar first, before I write in everything else, before I put down the tour of this or the visit to this or the visit to this relative or whatever. I put the meetings down on my calendar and they're on my phone so that they're there first because my motto in my life is I try to fit OA, I try to fit my life into OA. I don't try to squeeze OA into my life. It just won't happen if I try to squeeze OA into my life. So I fit my life into OA. So I put those meetings on my calendar. And then I call the contact person that's listed for that particular meeting. To verify that the meeting is being held, yes. To verify where it is, yes. But more important, to make that personal connection to somebody in that city. To let them know I'm seriously thinking about going to that meeting. In fact, it's already on my schedule. God willing, I will be there. And I just wanted to say hello. How are you doing? And it's great because then I build up some contacts that way. And I also go to the local intergroup website. I, before coming here, I went to the uh, Sacramento intergroup website. 
there's always a copy of the newsletter on there or people that are involved in the intergroup, and I call a bunch of the guys whose phone numbers are on there. And I call them, and I say, Hi, I'm Greg from Phoenix. I'm in OA. I'm going to be visiting Sacramento. I just wanted to make a connection, make an outreach call to somebody in town so I get that emotional connection to where I'm going to. So it's not a whole bunch of strangers in the town that I'm going to be in. So I make sure I have a couple of phone numbers from the local intergroup website, and I call them before I leave. And I do this in every city I go to. I have traveled a lot just in this year. I've been to Alaska. We just got back from Alaska. I did this and uh, uh, went to meetings and made outreach calls in Anchorage and Fairbanks, San Diego, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C. I go a lot over there. So all these cities, I always call people ahead of time. If I don't have a car or if I can't get to the meeting, I find out how to take public transportation or I ask for a ride to get to the meeting, and people are usually very willing to do that. And then I pack my big book and daily meditation books, or as, as, as uh, Hannah mentioned, I have them on my Kindle and my iPhone. It's kind of interesting because the OA books are available on Kindle as an e-reader book. The AA books are only available on my iPhone through the iTunes store, different ways. So I take my Kindle, and I have my OA books on it. I, take my, I have my iPhone, which has my AA books on it. So kind of interesting. So that's what I do before my trip. It's very important for me to set the stage before I leave to make a commitment that I will continue my recovery, work my steps, stay abstinent wherever I am going. That doesn't take that much time. How much time did I spend before finding out the best buffet in town, right? Looking through all the guidebooks, researching it online. I spent a hell of a lot more time doing that than I have to do right now just to stay absent in program. So I don't want anybody to tell me they don't have the time to do this research ahead of time because I have the time. So what do I do at the airport? That's always a question. We've heard before, don't go into the airport stores and buy the little things in plastic bags. But here's exactly what I do when I travel. I have a big, we have a big blue Trader Joe's insulated bag. You've seen those at some of the stores. It doesn't have to be from Trader Joe's. It could be from, from wherever. And um, it's big enough so it fits in the overhead bin. I pack my lunch, let's say it's lunch, in a large Tupperware container. So I'll put my salad in there, my absinthe salad in the large Tupperware container. And then I have other little Tupperware containers where I put the other pieces of the salad that go in there. So I put that in the big blue bag. Then I get large baggies of ice. This is before I leave the house. I put those in the bag so they're cold. Or some ice packs. Now you're thinking, well, they don't allow ice packs through security. They don't allow big bags of ice through security, right? So what I do is I take out those ice packs and put them in my check baggage suitcase right before I hand over the bag. I still have the ice in the Trader Joe's bag. Right before security, there's always a trash can, right? Dump the ice out. Everything is ice cold still. In another five minutes on the other side of security, we walk up to a jack-in-the-box or whatever's there, hand them two bags, two big Ziploc bags. Can you fill this with ice? They always say yes. Goes back in the Trader Joe's bag. Everything is cold. 
It lasts for hours and hours and hours. And even if you, you know, you could even fill it up at the airport when you arrive at the place that you're going to. So I keep several items in the Ziploc bag and dump the ice on the other side of security. That's the greatest technique we've come up with, my wife and I have figured out, to keep things cold. Because I cannot eat, I don't eat anything that they serve on the airplane. I have been upgraded to first class a number of times. And, you know, they bring this nice meal out. And I feel so guilty. I mean, it's actually on, like, plates <laughs> with metal silverware. And I still have my absent lunch or dinner, as the case may be. So I use this everywhere. And I use that bag also when I'm schlepping around town, too to keep food cold if I need to. I also have a very small cooler pack, and I'll do the same thing. So, um, and I drink lots of water on the plane. How many people love paying $5 for a bottle of water at the airport? Nobody. Does anyone have a trick to avoid that? Good. I wonder if the trick involves going to the other side of security and going up to a restaurant and saying, could I please have a courtesy cup of ice water, some ice water? And then they come out with a little, you know, one-ounce plastic cup. I say, no, I need a big cup, and they'll always give it to me. Starbucks is the best because they give you plastic cups with a lid. So I'm able to drink a lot of water, which helps in my abstinence. And I take that on the plane with me. So what do I do at my destination? Well, I request a room with a refrigerator, or I ask for a refrigerator. I think that was mentioned at some previous thing. If you ask and you say it's for medical purposes, they don't charge you. I always call well ahead of time to make sure the refrigerator is there, and I call the day before I leave, or that morning, early that morning, because that's when they bring the fridges out and assign them. So that way I can keep my food cold. I always pack my breakfast foods. I take them in the suitcase. If they need to be cold, they're in that bag. If they don't, they're in the checked baggage. I go to the uh, whatever. I get whatever food I need. We went to the supermarket yesterday to get a couple items. I eat my abstinent breakfast. Even when I have a free buffet, which I have at this hotel, what I got from that buffet is part of my abstinent breakfast. The other thing I do is what am I going to have for lunch today? I could spend $15 at a plated chicken dinner, right, chicken lunch, but no, I bought salad yesterday at the supermarket. The other things at the buffet were part of my absent lunch. So I put them in little Tupperware containers. So you'll see me at lunch, and I pack salad dressing too. You'll see me at lunch having my normal abstinent meal. I don't need to pay a lot for food, and I can stay absent on the road by doing these particular techniques. So, and I also plan ahead for meals. I asked... Uh, Wendy, where's the best vegetarian or vegan restaurant kind of salad bar in town? Because that's where we're going to go out tonight. So, And I do this research online before I leave most of the time. And I look and see how far is this restaurant from the hotel. So the thing is, I plan ahead to stay abstinent. I could go over doing the steps on step 10, 11, and 12, but I wanted to share with you the specific techniques that I use when traveling. And so what else do I do? Oh, the, one of the most important things that I do that I didn't want to forget is on this phone right here. And I'm going to show you, as an example, what I do. See, oh, I have to get it through the speaker.
moderator, please press one. Otherwise, please hold to be placed Can in the conference. Can you hear what he's saying? There is currently one other participant in the conference. I have the OA telephone meetings on speed dial on my phone. That's what there was. Wherever I am, if it's in the airport or in the hotel and I can't get to that meeting, I press one button on my cell phone. Most of you have cell phones. Most of you have the ability to put speed dials or favorite numbers in there, right? You can do that. You can go to the OA.org website. You could look up the, there's only two or three numbers that are usually used, and you put those in a speed dial. Your plane is delayed. You can't reach anyone in an outreach call. You're frustrated. Maybe you're hungry. You forgot your Trader Joe's bag at home. The ice has all melted, okay? You don't know what time zone you're in. Should you have a fourth meal, fifth meal, or sixth meal of the day, right? That was the best thing about traveling earlier, the multiple time zones. I could eat in every single time zone. If it wasn't lunch somewhere, it was breakfast somewhere else. It was beautiful. Go on the phone, have a quick little meeting, get a little Bluetooth headset for yourself. And it's great when I'm traveling with my wife. I have this thing in my ear here, and I'm listening to an OA phone meeting, and she's talking to me at the same time. It's to make, she thinks I'm listening to her because I'm nodding. But I'm listening to somebody else in Cleveland or something instead. So if you're tired of listening to your spouse while you're traveling, get a Bluetooth thing, put on the OA meeting, and just, and just enjoy yourself. So these are all the recovery tricks I do on the road. And whenever I'm traveling, I ask myself this question. What am I not willing to do today for my recovery? What am I not willing to do? Am I not willing to make outreach calls like I do at home? Am I not willing to... Go to a meeting on phone, or in the phone, on phone or in person? Am I not willing to write down my food every morning like I do, road or no road? Am I not willing to call my sponsor just because I'm traveling? Or maybe they're traveling and I can't interrupt them. What am I not willing to do? So ask yourself this question. What are you not willing to do today to promote your recovery? And I'll commit to you today that I am willing to do anything for my recovery today. So I'm going to have an abstinent lunch. I had an abstinent breakfast. I'm going to have an abstinent dinner tonight. I'm going to follow these tips and tricks that I use when I travel. And I will be happy to help anybody figure out your own personal situation when you're traveling. Because there's some things I'm sure I haven't covered and I haven't even thought of. And I would love to hear your tricks when you travel, so I could add them to my list, too. Thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. Okay, this is the time for um, three-minute pitches, and there's a speaker release form up here because um, you will be recorded, but if you could just sign here. At the last session I saw, um, someone came up and spoke and didn't want anyone to know they were speaking, so they just began without saying their names. So that's always an option and if you uh, want to do that. And um, we have a timer here. We'll let you know when you have a minute left. So the floor is now open. I'm Abigail, compulsive overeater. Hi, Abigail. 
Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything you have to say. I have a real issue with traveling. It's very difficult for me, and so I was really excited to see this topic on the um, agenda. I, um, I, well, I, it, there's a lot of reasons, but basically I get very anxious and nervous about travel. I think basically my I'm a very frightened and anxious person, one of the reasons I'm a compulsive overeater. And being in strange surroundings, of course, amplifies that. So I'm not a person who really loves to travel. It's not my passion, but there's times when it's necessary. And I need to be absent. I need to maintain my program because that is my top priority. I mean, um, so anyway, so there's just a lot of issues for me. On top of that, I have fibromyalgia, so I have a lot of chronic pain. And um, I, I just have to do what I need to do to make sure that I can be okay where I'm going. And I think one of my problems has been shame around my needs. I remember once... So I have a lot of chronic pain, so I'd pack my, the foam pieces from my bed and we'd vacuum pack them down to small pieces and then put them in the luggage so I could take them. And I was really ashamed that I took pieces of my bed with me. Like, what's that going to mean? And I had to go to Israel because my father was traveling and fell very ill and was in the hospital. And my worst nightmare is that you know, Israeli security is very strict. And uh, that they were going to, and we did get caught in a bomb scare in LA airport. And I had this image of the Israeli security guards opening up my suitcase and the foam just expanding out of it like, <laughs> like something from um, Ghostbusters. And then, like, you know, how was I going to explain this to a bunch of, you know, Israeli security guards? And so, anyway, one of my issues is shame about my needs. And then the other thing that's really an issue that I heard here is wanting things my way. That those are the blocks between doing what I need to do. And the things I need to do are, well, I, I take a water bottle and I empty it out before security and then I fill it out on, on the other side. Um, I do pack a lot of my food. I just realized I have this fabulous way to get my food weighed and measured when I'm out traveling. If I go to a deli counter, they weigh the meat. I would like three ounces of meat, please, of turkey. And they look at you a little, you know, funny, but I get my three ounces and then I have my you know, tortilla wrap, and I ask, can I have an ounce of cheese? And they do. And all of a sudden, I have my protein, my fat, and my carbohydrate, and then I go buy a bunch of vegetables. But it's not always possible to do with some kinds of traveling. And sometimes I have to just do the best I can. But I also, there's things I am not willing to eat sugar. I'm not willing to break my abstinence, no matter what. And that means speaking up, and some of the hardest things I've had to do is speak up and say, I'm sorry, I can't eat sugar. I'm sorry, I can't eat that food. And it's hard for me to do that because I get this shame about being different. And um, the last story I'll tell before I go down is I went up to Seattle to visit relatives. My aunt and uncle live, they're in their 80s, they live in Jerusalem, and they came to visit their son in Seattle, so we went to visit them. Hadn't seen him in a couple years. Oh, you've lost so much weight. You look wonderful. What have you done? I said, well, I'm a member of Overeach Anonymous. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's for food. <laughs> and that pause is exactly what I got. Oh, and uh, change the subject. Oh, Jed, I hear you got a new job. <laughs> they didn't talk about it ever again at the whole trip. No one made a big deal about me not eating sugar. Every now and then there was like, well... They want to ask me a question. They're like, mm, no, we don't really want to know. <laughs> and so uh, I'm trying to learn to be more honest about who I truly am and not be as concerned about what people think of who I truly am. And who I truly am is a compulsive overeater. And I do have, as someone said in an earlier meeting, I have this really simple, wonderful technique for arresting my illness, which doesn't involve, as she pointed out, dialysis or chemotherapy 
I get to go to meetings and I get to abstain and I get to practice a spiritual program. And then I get recovery. Hmm, that's kind of a sweet deal, really. So anyway, thank you very much and really appreciate, I really appreciate everything everyone had to say. Thank you. Hi, my name's Hope. I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, I love to travel so much, I've lived overseas. Um, I lived in Zaire, now Belgian, no, no, it used to be Belgian Congo, then it was Zaire, now it's Democratic Republic of Congo for three years. I lived in New Delhi, India for four years. So that really doesn't count as traveling, because I was living there, so I really can't, you know, speak to that. But um, my husband and I, we've, we've always loved traveling. Um, on our honeymoon, we got married in New York, we went to Caracas, Venezuela, because there was a cheap deal. And, you know, crazy, but we went and we slept around sightseeing and taking Super 8 movies and whatever. But anyway, um, one of the things we love to do is go on cruises. And if any of you are afraid of going on a cruise because of the food or the booze or anything, please don't be. Because there's always Friends of Bill W. meetings, and they're usually at 5 o'clock which is the time when everybody comes back if they're on short or an excursion or whatever, you know. Just look in the daily program, it'll say Friends of Bill W. or Bill W. whatever. Um, and I have never had anyone, you know, not welcome me at these meetings. Um, and I share because it's usually small and, you know, you could be 12-stepping somebody because some of these alcoholics are pretty big, you know, and they're just not ready for our program or really know about it. So um, the other thing about the food on a cruise ship is it used to be, I remember, midnight buffets, you know, 1130. They don't do that anymore. You know, they don't do that. It's just 24 hour, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> you know, you go up to the Lido buffet or whatever, and it's almost like 24 hour, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, I personally, when I, okay, I'm obviously very food oriented this is I'm a compulsive overeater I when I go on vacation I'm paying money I want to be served I'm not going to a friggin buffet okay I'm not walking up and down taking my food balancing and okay I want nice service I have a table I have a waiter and everything and there are many courses I'm also vegetarian there are many courses on um, you know the meal they could be like five courses okay we order them all the appetizer, the salad, the soup, if we can. Usually things are marked, um, the spa menu or vegetarian, whatever. They're always marked, some of them even with calories on them. And the portions are really small. They're not like the, you know, restaurants, you know, where they can give you this humongous thing and you can take half of it home. The portions are small. You know, and the thing is, when you eat, when we eat several courses, you know, I mean, the starter could be like a few pieces of, like a little bit of fruit salad that fits in your left nostril. You know, I mean, that's, that's about, you know, that's the, that's the appetizer. And then a little salad. They always have low-calorie dressings. Always, you know. So please don't be afraid of, of going on anything like this. It's really wonderful. Um, you know, if you don't like to dance or socialize or whatever, that's one thing. But please don't be afraid because of the food. Okay? Thanks.
Hi, I'm Alice, compulsive overeater. I like to travel. I traveled a lot before I had kids, and um, I don't travel that much anymore um, out of state or out of 20 miles, but I like to go places locally. Um, and my challenges are that um, I'm a cancer survivor, and I also have IBS, and sometimes I have to eat cooked food. Okay, so, I mean, salad is easy. You know, I can get it anywhere. Cooked food is a little bit harder, and I found out, like, coming to this convention, some of it I pre-cooked so that's easy when I go locally and not that far that I can cook my own, bring with me, and put it in the ice. And But I also found that I could get uh, food in a can. And um, so if I can get veggies and then I can um, get some eggs and, you know, and maybe some canned uh, fish, whatever, um, and weigh it, um, or beans that don't spoil, then then works uh, pretty good for me. Um, and I'm just learning. The other thing, how do I warm it up? <laughs> there are some places have microwave. Rooms don't always have microwave. So that's, I found that sometimes I'll add a cup of hot water. Sometimes it's a question, where do I get hot water? Any tips on that, I really appreciate. Um, I also take a lot of vitamins, not necessarily meds. I take uh, psyllium husk and, you know, for, for my issues, Miralax. I bring smaller containers, and I, I like to divide my vitamins when I go on an airplane, you know, in a little container. Well, when I, when I fly, they like to see the original bottles. So I have to bring the original bottles, and I just take as many as I, as I want so I can show them, pull it out, put it there with my, you know, cell phone or computer, then they can just um, take a look at it um, and say, sometimes they actually take it out and look at the powder, you know, what it is. And um, I had um, no problems with that. Um, and I traveled locally uh, that I would stay at um, youth hostels, and they usually have microwave. They, you know, have a stove so I can cook my own. Um, and uh, really with OA, it, it helps me stay, stay mo more healthy, and um, I really appreciate your sharing all your ideas. Thank you. Hi, family. My name is Mickey. I'm a compulsive overeater and a food addict. Hi. And I'm here to talk to you about TSA. Does everybody know what TSA is? Okay. If you go through an airport, you go through TSA. And I need to tell you, things change. For example, being over 75, I no longer have to remove my shoes or my jackets or any other part of my clothing, which is very, very nice. Secondly, with regard to taking liquids and other foods on the airplane, I have brought with, in my igloo cooler, enough food for like two days. What is the requirement? And I like boxed meals. You know, I prepare a whole meal and I put it in this plastic box with the tight lid on it. Uh, one of the things uh, that you have to do, it has to be frozen. If it is frozen, it will go right through TSA. I had my igloo cooler wide open, and the guys are looking in, and I said, I called TSA. They said, if this box is frozen, it can go through, and he lifted it out, and he said, yeah, it's frozen. 
Of course, he didn't look at my cottage cheese, but that was not my problem. Uh, now, uh, what happens? Who is the lady who likes her food warm? Okay? I got to tell you, you know what works well? The bathroom sink. You fill it with hot water, and you put whatever it is in a water-resistant container. You stick it in there, and you got an, it's not really hot, hot, but it's a nice, comfortable temperature. Although, as my sponsor would ask me, when I said, well, what am I going to do? I've got this box of chili, which is one of my favorite full, full meals. Uh, he said, well, have you ever eaten it cold? I said, no, I never thought of that. And I tried it, and it wasn't bad at all. Okay? Another thing is bottles of water. Okay? I learned this from the passenger going through TSA before me. She takes out this quart bottle of water, and it's liquid. And she's showing it to the TSA guys. And she says, but this is for medical reasons. And he said, oh, okay, let's go over here. We'll test the water, and if it turns out to be water, you can just take it right on through. Guess what I'm going to do next time? I'm going to take a bottle of water, and I won't have to pay exorbitant prices on the other side of TSA. Uh, also, they, they still, I know they sell these little bitty coil heaters, that heat the water, and if you're in a hotel, well, all of the hotels I've been in have these little coffee machines, and I make tea for myself every day, but if you're in a place where they don't have these things, they have these little coil heaters. They're a couple bucks. You plug it in, and it heats whatever it is that you want. I haven't tried it in my chili yet, but maybe next time. <laughs> maybe next time. So uh, for me, travel is easy. I do a lot of travel. This panel is important to me because, uh, well, first of all, I know Hannah and I know how much she travels. And I'm sitting here writing down a list of the places I've been. And I know it's not complete, but as, as I'm remembering it, so far I've traveled to 17 different countries. And I've been on more cruises than I can possibly count. And what I do to protect myself, and yes, the cruises do portion control for you. They really, really do. But what they do is they will protect your dietary needs. If you go to the maitre d' or the captain at the beginning of the cruise and say, I have special food needs, and I tell him, because my abstinence is to be sugar, flour, and wheat-free. And, I, and they don't understand that. But what they do understand is I say to them, I need a diabetic and gluten-free diet. Works every time. Never works on the airlines. No matter what I do, no matter how I check and say, I ordered this, I ordered this, they say, oh, we have no record of it. <laughs> Even if I call an hour before the flight and they assure me it's on the plane, it has never happened. Never happened. But that's okay because I come prepared. I have to take care of me because there's nobody else to take care of me. And thank you for letting me share. Thank you for those who came up to share. Thank you very much. Okay, it's time that we um, close this meeting. Before I close, I want you to remind you that the hotel is offering a cash-only lunch, a salad and a piece of fruit. Um, $15 um, outside tonight, today with coffee. Let's thank our speakers and all who've done service during the session.